Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Ascension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. Let's start at the first primary assumption for our practice, and that is that we are not body and we are not consciousness. We are embodied consciousness. As a result, pre-modern praxis made great use of ritual. Our Kihon Waza is really ritual behavior. The understanding of Kihon Waza as a self-defense that functions through an if-then paradigm is a modern corruption. So an if-then paradigm is if the guy comes in like this, then you do that. This is really a kind of primitive way of thinking in a Darwinian sense, which is ironic because we usually as moderns equate the pre-modern way of thinking as being less evolved. But an if-then is really an understanding of a very simplistic mind, a very unsophisticated way of thinking. It makes sense to us mostly as non-practitioners, so very unsophisticated way of thinking. No experience understanding the problem of form and the distance that comes through form between form and application. Zero understanding of the complexity of that problematic. But the pre-moderns understood this. They, they knew outright that you, don't, you cannot learn a form and then plug and play. They were more evolved in that sense more advanced, more sophisticated. So they started with this truth that we humans are embodied consciousness. And they developed practices and philosophies that addressed the interdependency that is assumed in the phrase embodied consciousness, the interdependency between mind and body, or better said, the inseparability of mind and body. The if-then paradigm is an extension of the myth of man as machine. It holds in some way that We are akin to a computer of sorts where 
the body is the hardware and the mind is the software. And you're going to do these calculations so fast that when the person comes in with their attack, you know and recognize immediately right hook. You go through all the infinite options you could do. And again, through this kind of speed of life or even speed of light calculations, you come up with technique 1-2-3-B parenthetical 5. It doesn't work that way. So as a body-mind practice, Kihon Waza is a ritual. It is, as a ritual, first overlaid with a narrative. And concentrically representing and represented by the greater universe. So moves or parts of moves are actually can be given various associations, metaphorically or allegorically. They might be assigned an element, water, fire. And in representing the universe, they are associated with yin or yang. The patterns of the forms themselves are tracing the patterns of the universe itself. Spirals, rotating yin and yang aspects, traveling through space-time on a spiraling pattern. That is your kihon. In adopting them as a performance, where you are the performer, you're doing the ritual, you are embodying those truths, those energetic truths of yin and yang. You are acting out the narrative, say the water dragon and the fire dragon. And you are with your body tracing the geometry of the universe itself. That is, that is one thing that is happening as you practice your techniques. And this is quite different from the unsophisticated computer metaphor of if-then. A guy does this, then I do that. In a sense, in the ritual, the problem of form and application is put to the side, shifted to the back burner, and placed on hold. And the reason for this is that you're not after a response to the right hook. You're after a particular response, not a 1 2 3, etc., but a response where the narrative is repeated 
and the yin and yang energies are identifiable and the universe repeats its patterns with you and through you. So it can't be any old thing, your response. It's a particular thing. Well, there's no sense to, from this pre-modern point of view, there's no sense to trying to respond to a right hook before you get even in the ballpark of yin and yang energies, water dragons, fire dragons, rotating, spiraling crosses. There's no point. But we're not looking at a stylistic preference. They're choosing out of reason. There's no point because to do otherwise is to be inferior, corrupt, degenerate. Martially speaking, it's a reduction in viability. For example, if you do not understand yin and yang, you cannot reconcile yin and yang. And if you cannot reconcile yin and yang, then you are left to the unsophisticated reaction of pushing on what is pushing on you. For that to function martially, you're going to have to be stronger than the person that is pushing on you. And often we're not. So that makes it martially inferior. In two ways. In the first way, it reduces who you can actually do your art upon. But secondly, it's more likely that you're going to fail because it's more likely that the person that is actually assaulting you is stronger than you and not weaker than you. Predator-prey models do not demonstrate that assaulters tend to attack stronger people. There's something seriously flawed just at the level of reason with that assumption. And so there is something seriously flawed at the level of reason in any martial art that attempts to push on what is pushing on it or him or her. In any martial art that cannot reconcile yin and yang is going to do that. And any martial art that does not understand yin and yang is going to be unable to reconcile yin and yang. So in many ways, your ritual, your form, is a kind of performance, a kind of dance, a rule-governed performance that you practice as embodied consciousness. You are doing the narrative. You are being the pattern. So, when you go on to a text like the Upanishad, the death Upanishad, and they mention ritual in there, they're talking about a fire ritual. 
We might today as moderns look at this and go and compare it to some of the rituals that we have that we have today. But the rituals we have today are not functionable. They're not viable today because they do not operate through, an, through a concentric epistemy. The, the best our rituals can be is symbolic or metaphorical. They're not microcosmic or macrocosmic. So as I said, in the ritual of Kihonwaza, as embodied consciousness, on the one hand, I am tracing the patterns of the universe with my body, but on the other hand, at the level of consciousness, in the tracing of that pattern with my body, I am the universe. But that's not how our modern rituals happen. Our modern rituals do not function through that epistemy, and they're at best symbolic, emblematic, metaphorical. From our weddings to our graduations, which is why it's very hard for us to feel they're even worth anything nowadays. We don't need a big wedding. We can just have the judge do it. Oh, graduation, whatever. Graduation is a rite of passage ritual, but in the modern epistemy, you're really going from nowhere to nowhere. Very different from rites of passage in pre-modern societies where you went from a boy to a man or from a girl to a woman. This is a big deal. Right now, our children don't know when to stop feeling like children. It more happens by default. Some of them look for some sort of rite of passage. I'm going to join the military. They'll make a man out of me. There's a kind of void, a kind of impotence, a kind of meaning, meaninglessness that comes to our rituals today because we function through a different way of thinking. And this has spilled over into Aikido Kihon. A lot, a lot of people don't understand it uh, because they do not see the immediate purpose. If they do not sense an if-then, it's useless. You post a video and people will automatically go, that'll never work. That'll never work. No one comes in like that. But your kihon, your ritual, isn't making a kind of temporal manifestation of reality. It represents all reality. It's not a specific... This is how people punch. This is how people kick. This is, it's not that. 
It's this is how the universe works. When you understand the patterns, the narratives, the mythic themes, that you understand the timelessness. You understand its universality. You don't need to practice this for a punch, that for a kick, and this over here for a tackle. This is how ritual functions. So in that Upanishad, they start to mention ritual. And I want to talk about it briefly in this way because the author of the book doesn't really go into ritual. He's a philosopher. He's a modern philosopher. And as a modern philosopher, he works through the post-enlightenment division between mind and body. So he kind of glosses over ritual. And you get to this, you, you, you read the first part of the book or you listen to the first part of the book and it's all philosophy and you go, yeah, cool, I like those ideas, man. One with the universe, man, cool, that's me. But you know that doesn't mean crap because once we go into form or Giyuwaza, you are anything but the universe. You're a pusher. You rely on big man Aikido. Or you, you're a retreater. You run away. So it's important to, to understand there is a praxis to your art. It's ritual. The inclusion and the understanding of martial arts as ritual goes back to the very beginning of this technology of the self. It goes back to the Ruist, 500 BCE, what is now China. There were two practices that dominated all of this way of thinking. One was dance. The other one was martial arts. In India, as referenced in the Upanishad, a core ritual was the fire ritual. But you have to understand the narrative. Fire is a very interesting element. If you take this idea of embodied consciousness, so we're both mind and body. We are both God and animal. We are both spirit and matter. We are both nature and culture. 
And that kind of hazy line between these primary aspects of who and what we are, when you look at that line, you're going to see fire. So take, for example, the division between nature and culture. And find another animal that cooks its food. You're not going to. Oh, dolphins are smart. Dogs can tell when we're coming home. Pigs suffer. All true. Chimps use tools. True. Chimps wage war. True. There's homosexual chimps. True. None of them cook their food. The application of heat to matter, to material. is the birth or the identifying or the mark of the split between nature and culture. So pre-modern societies always made an issue or a significance of fire. And if you look at our rituals, even to this day, fire is there. We light incense in the dojo. We bring fire to the kamiza. We light a candle during zazen. Fire is present. When we train, we look to generate heat and to transform ourselves through the generation of heat. From non-warrior, nature, untrained, fear-driven, to warrior, trained, cultivated, strategic and tactical. The raw iron that is taken from the earth is heated with fire to become a sword. If you go deeper, your techniques have yin and yang aspects. The yin and yang aspects are connected to internal aspects. Aiki and Kokyu, and they are associated with elements, water and fire. There is a passive aspect to your technique and an active aspect to your technique. But in our training, which one comes first? Fire. Active. Kokyu. Young.
If you go back and you watch my videos, they go way back now. We have hundreds of videos. You will see a person's art transform from cocu, active, young, to this passive, yin, yielding. Because cocu comes first. Fire has to be applied. When you have a fire ritual, in a way, you're giving shape to something. Pre-fire is just a random mess. Pre-cook you, your technique's just a mess. If the forms trace the pattern generated by a spiraling, rotating cross, the assumption there is that there is a center to this. There is no center then there is no spiral and there is no cross. Well, that center requires an integrity. Otherwise, there's no center. If it moves all over the place, there's no center. And the temporal and positional integrity of the center is based in the fire of Kokyu. So you'll see in pre-modern ritual, philosophy, that fire is emblematic of that kind of shape. It gives shape to things. It takes raw food and makes it now shaped, cooked. It's now cuisine. It's not meat. It's not flesh. You don't go to a dinner party and go, this is the best flesh I've ever had. Everyone will go, you are weird. We don't call it flesh. This is one delicious carcass. That's pre-fire. It's a pre-fire discourse being used in a post-fire setting. It doesn't make sense. We still have some echoes of our pre-modern ritualistic self. Which is why some people, and yeah, it's crazy, but some people just can't do sushi. You're like, oh, you just got to try it. It's true. But why do they have that kind of abhorrence to it? Because they've been cultured. And then you have people that eat sushi, but won't eat raw beef. No, 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 I'll do fish. You're, you're, these are crazy lines, but these are echoes from our pre-modern self. 
going way deep into ourselves on how central fire is to shape. Why else would you have a, a YouTube video of a, of a fireplace? There's no heat. Why do we have these, you know, those Yule Log videos? It makes us feel at home. We're all home now. We're a family. It's the holidays. You see fires transforming us. We don't even need the heat. It's silly. But shut it off and everyone goes, hey, why don't you just turn that back on? So the takeaway here is you're doing your forms. <sighs> Drop the if-then paradigm. It's a modern corruption. It will never lead to application. Never. Begin with the ritual. When it's a ritual... It's very important where you put your foot. You're not going to put it any old place because it's a ritual. How you shape your hand. When and where you breathe. Do you ki? Get the movement right. Do the prescribed pattern. Then we apply heat. Heat is actual heat. The heat that's generated in your body by upping the energy, increasing the violence, turning up the intensity. We go bullshit. But it's bullshit because we have this unsophisticated if-then mentality. Which is really only held, in my opinion, having trained for so long. It's held by people that do not train. People that never actually try to bridge the gap between form and application. Those people still think it's possible to do if-then training because they don't train. So they never discovered it's impossible to do if-then. At speed of life, it's impossible to calculate so quickly that you do if-then. No matter how much you reduce the options of your then. It doesn't work. But they don't know that because they don't train. And dabbling's not training. Today I was training law enforcement officers. And we're just working the mechanics. It's difficult to draw your equipment on your duty belt on the move, dynamically. 
Most officers practice not to any fault of their own, but statically on a square range. So you're standing still, and let's say you draw your handgun. That handgun is going to be generally on your three o'clock angle. If you're right-handed on your body, it's going to be on your right hip at three o'clock. If you're left-handed, it'll be on your left hip at nine o'clock. But once you start running, and if you have to deviate at any kind of angle, that traces a radius where you generate any kind of curve, that holster is not at true three or true nine anymore. It's now around two, two thirty. And 9.30.10. But you don't know that on a square range, do you see? But it happens because we turn our waist and our torso to generate angles of deviation and angles of acceleration. You're not, you're not staying square hips and shoulders. So the holster moves in relation to where your arm is. But people that train on a square range never know that. Or people that work going straight back, straight forward. They never know that. And the only people that would prioritize that movement or that lack of movement is people that don't fight. Anybody that fights is going to want to know how to do circular motion. They're going to want to know how to trace curves, get off the line using angles of rotation. And once you do that, that gun is moving. It's not where you think it was if all you know is the square range. So we're working the mechanics in this law enforcement training. The mechanics of, hey, let's draw our weapon dynamically on the move. Okay, cool. Let's apply some heat. Now your training partner is going to turn around and try to get you. Try to do the movement again. Find your weapon and draw. Okay, let's make some more heat. First, you're going to be wrestling with this training partner. Then you're going to break distance. Then you're going to start this curving foot patterns. You find your weapon, bring it out. Just mechanics, do you see? People that actually apply things professionally do mechanical drills. Again, people who don't do things with an end in mind, other than the end they imagine from their armchair, don't think mechanical training is important. They want to imagine an if-then. So they would go, why would someone, well, why would why would someone, do you see they start down that road? Why, why, why? I saw, dude, I don't know why. This is just mechanics train. Get me off the line, find my holster, it moved, draw it dynamically. Do you need that skill? Yes. If you create a scenario in the end where that skill kind of replicates an if-then application, you're going to be much better at it 
than the person who never tried to work it mechanically, ritualistically. So one trainee says he doesn't get this. He's in an if-then mentality. And he says, why would I ever do that? I don't know. And like, that's my answer, right? I don't know why. I don't know what's going to happen. I go to the next guy. I go, hey, what are you going to face on your next shift? I don't know. How about you? Do you know what you're going to face on your next shift? No. Do I have to go around the whole class? No one knows. I say, hey, look, we train mechanically all the time. We train for mechanics all the time. We don't do scenarios all the time. When we use paper targets on the range, it's not because one day we might be attacked by paper. I'm working the mechanics of marksmanship. I'm not preparing for the paper apocalypse. I'm just working the mechanics. I'm just doing the ritual. We don't know what we're going to do. And it's a very unsophisticated mind that thinks they can predict. And pre-modern thinkers were not unsophisticated. The universality of their rituals address the unknowability of application. So do not concern yourself with anything but first do the ritual. Like a ritual. If we're walking down the wedding aisle, don't do cartwheels. The ritual prescribes that you walk down the aisle. Same thing. Ikyo requires this with that foot, that with the other foot, this with that hand, that with the other hand. It has a prescribed timing. It has a prescribed rate of movement through space, a precise pattern. Do the ritual. First learn the ritual. Then we'll apply heat. It's the same with cooking. Get all the ingredients. Have them be good ones. Follow the recipe. We'll apply heat. Drop the if-then. The worst thing the modern practitioner can do is the if-then thinking. Because you align yourself with the dabblers, the imposters, the keyboardists, the jargonites. They are everything you should not allow yourself to be. They are brains in a vat. You are embodied consciousness.
their moderns slowly becoming mentally ill. Task yourself with the ritual. And you will see more results. And when the fire is applied, you will beg for it to turn down its heat. Don't be in such a hurry. Because the thing with fire is fire destroys to give birth. Fire destroys to give birth. As it gives shape to something, it destroys that shapelessness. It is not a pleasant experience. As we are forged into swords, it is not a pleasant experience. Be patient. Learn the forms. Task yourself with the forms. The fire will come soon enough. This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentiencenter.com. S-E-N-S-H-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.com. Or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.